welcome to the Amy Forums podcast. And joining me on this edition, uh, games editor Mark Botwright. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. Movie reviewer Simon Crust. I could be sitting at home with pea stains on my rug. Steve Weathers. I mean, say what you want about tennis national socialism, dude. At least it's an ethos. And news editor Mark Hodgkinson. I bowl, drive around, the occasional acid flashback. Uh, welcome to the AV Forums podcast. And we start this week with some sad news which broke on Sunday. Oscar winning actor Philip Seymour Hoffman sadly died at the age of 46 from what is suspected but not yet confirmed to have been a drugs overdose. Looking back at his career, I, I first really noticed him in Boogie Nights. Um, although he was in Twister the same year and playing a storm chaser, a little bit part. He was a little bit funny in that, but it was seeing him in Boogie Nights and seeing his portrayal of um, the character Scotty, a vulnerable outcast, trying to be part of the gang, um, which really made made me take notice of him because uh, you know he managed in that role to be funny when he was trying to close on and he couldn't get the shirt over his belly and that kind of thing. Also, at the same time, being vulnerable and uh, being a bit of an outcast. And then, of course, looking at his filmography, it's actually stunning the amount of quality films that he's been in. And and he was a quality actor, guys. Yeah, I first saw him in Scent of a Woman, which was uh, the one Al Pacino was in when he won the Oscar. And uh, he plays this really slimy school kid in it, although he looks almost identical to the way he does later in life. And then, like you... uh, I noticed him in Twister and in Boogie Nights, where he was superb. He's done quite a few films with Paul Thomas Anderson because he did. He was had a bit part in Hard Eight, which was his first film, and then later on he did um, Magnolia, where he played the nurse nursing yep. Tom Cruise's dying father, uh, where he was really good again. He also appeared uh, in Punch Drunk Love as the guy that runs the sex phone line, and then most recently he did The Master, uh, which he got another nomination, Oscar nomination for, which he was very good in. Yeah, I think he's been in every Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, major release. Uh, he wasn't so, in. I don't. I don't think. And I could be wrong here, but I don't think he's in. Uh, there will be blood. That's the only one he's not in. That I'm aware of. You're right. But yeah, he's just, done done yeah. almost all of the other ones. But he's been. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys that's been in loads of films, and he's always good. Um, you know, he's a real. I mean, I know he won an Oscar for best actor in in Capote, but generally, I would class him more as a a character actor, a supporting player rather than the star. But, you know, as such, he was always really good. I mean, you can list out so many films that, you know, he pops up in up to and including recently playing um, playing a a sort of secondary role in The Hunger Games Catching Fire, which he was really good in as well. Even in a, you know, a kind of a tweeny uh, sci fi movie, he's still really good. I noticed you didn't say the character name there. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Plutarch Heavenby, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Simon, what's uh, what's your memories, uh, Mr. Hoffman? The overbiding memory is is sort of a commitment to the art. He was very very intense, even in the silly little roles. I actually, I'd forgotten he was in Twister. That that's that silly little guy sort of jumping around on on the back of everyone else there. Um, incredibly powerful performance. Um, the last film I saw him in was The Master. Um, I didn't get on with the film particularly, but my God, what a what a what a character actor he was. And it's it's a tragic loss. You have got to wonder what goes in these what goes. In, in, through these people's lives, you know, you, you think that he's got fame, fortune, wealth. Well, it's a, it's addiction, and addiction takes over your life. It, it can happen to anybody. I mean, heroin can happen to anybody, and, and it's it's one of these things that, you know, don't touch it if you're not prepared for the consequences because it's probably one of the strongest addictions on the planet. Um, even if you are wealthy, even if you are famous, even if you've got everything that you could possibly ever want, once you're addicted to something, it, it generally takes over your life. Very, very sad. 
and to be clean for what twenty odd years or something. Something must tragic must have happened out of the public eye for it to turn turn him back into very very sad. You wonder if it, he, he became an actor just to to hide. I don't know, hide a pain, be someone else. Perhaps he couldn't be someone else in the end. Very deep, Simon. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, surprisingly deep. From the deep to the shallow. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, he, you know, he, I, I kind of always think of him in Magnolia. I suppose that was the first time I really noticed him. And then when, obviously, when you go back and then he's one of those faces that you suddenly realise he's popped up in so many different things. And he's also bounced around different genres as well. You know, as much as he's kind of seems like that character actor dedicated to his craft, when you see him, you know, the boat that rocked or, or Mission Impossible 3, he just kind of pops around. He's, he seems to have tried his hand at various different types of role. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it was he's one of those figures that we'll miss simply because there aren't that many, nice way of putting it, quite unique looking in the sense that they look like ordinary people, actors out there. It never seemed like he was pushing for the leading man role in, in a strange way, the kind of vulnerability that he'd bring to the supporting roles. It it kind of added to the atmosphere and seemed to bring the best out of anyone acting opposite him as well. I mean, just you look at the role in, in something like Red Dragon. It you know, it it wasn't a huge part. Okay, it's a significant part, but still it's you know, he he seemed to bring a certain kind of acumen to it and it wasn't just a throwaway part either. Um, he's, he's one of those guys that uh, I didn't really know who he was. You know, I'm not as big on movies as some of you. Uh, I didn't really know who he was until he died. Uh, and then I looked him up. And yeah, he was great in Boogie Nights, uh, great in Big Lebowski, which both two of my favourite movies. Um, yeah, just a, a tragic thing, really. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Great actor, uh, gone too soon. Yet another. big problem now is that he's, uh, he was in the middle of filming Hunger Games, Mockingjay Parts 1 and 2, playing Plutarch Heavensby. Um, I think they had seven days left to shoot, so apparently they've already come out and said that they won't delay the release. So obviously they've got most of his in the can, and they can probably just fudge any scenes they hadn't shot with him. It's not Is it a major role? Uh, yes, it, apparently it's, um, it becomes a bit... I haven't read the books, but apparently it becomes a bigger role uh, through the course of the next two films than it was in, the, in Catching Fire. But I don't, think, I don't think Lionsgate are in the same position that Universal are with Paul Walker's death but they were only halfway through the film. So um, they were shooting parts one and two back to back. So I think they've done, he shot most of his scenes. So I guess that'll be his, yeah, that'll be his last um, thing, won't it? So fitting tribute, hopefully. Certainly box office wise, it will do well because they've made nearly a billion dollars off the back of Catching Fire. So I think it'll be remembered though for Capote. Yeah, I actually don't think, funny enough, even though he won the Oscar for Capote, uh, I think that Toby Jones was better. <laughs> he was better, uh, well, he, he looked more part. like, yeah, yeah that was how you yeah, you expected Capote to be. But as a kind of finding the essence of Capote, I, I think Hoffman nailed it. I, it's just, there's, there's just so many films you forget he's in. I mean, as, as Phil said at the beginning, I mean, I've forgotten he's in Talented Mr. Ripley, which he's really great in. Um, he's in Synoptiki, New York again, which he's really good in. Charlie Wilson's War, he's great in. I think he got an Oscar nomination for that one as well. Uh, and, and more recently, he popped up in Eyes um, of March and Moneyball just back in 2011 and was really good in those two. So, I mean, he, you know, he's done, he, as you said, um, Mark, he's done a lot of stuff and a lot of different stuff. And, you know, I can't think of a film he didn't know where he gives a bad performance. No, I can't think of a bad performance. And I, I've got to admit or confess that I haven't seen Capote. So he's one Oscar winning role. I haven't actually seen that yet. So I need to rectify that in the coming weeks, I think. 
Um, so that's the Saddler Sir Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, I'm sure we'll we'll all be uh, catching up with the films that we haven't seen yet that he was in because he was an excellent actor. So let's move on. Let's move on to home cinema news and uh, an event that myself and Steve were at last Wednesday, uh, hosted at Genesis Technologies Ice Cinemas uh, in Bracknell, and it was Datasat who were launching a new audio processor. Uh, but I think the major story from this event, Steve, was Oro 3D. And for people who don't know what Oro 3D is, it's basically uh, an immersive surround format where they use height channels and a ceiling speaker to give a more immersive surround sound uh, experience to films. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, I guess it's a, com- a competing format to Dolby Atmos, which we've discussed uh, on a previous podcast uh, last year, I think. Um, and yeah, it, it, the idea is that it, it gives you uh, a more immersive experience by having height and, and overhead speakers. Um, slightly different approach to the Dolby Dolby system, which um, first of all has a lot more overhead speakers. I mean, the the, uh, the the Oro one has what they call a voice of God or director's voice speaker directly overhead. Um, and th- their view is that you know that, that they're trying to come up with a system, and, I, and I'm quite impressed with this actually. I don't know about you, Phil, but I didn't know a lot about it before we went, we went to see them on Wednesday. And, and what I was impressed by was how they thought about trying to develop something that was backwards compatible, easy to install, and relatively cheap from the point of view of the, of the cinema chains, which kind of makes sense because the way it's delivered is using the PCM tracks. So um, you know you could you could, for example, very easily include Oro 13.1 on a Blu-ray, just using the PCM tracks. And I thought that was quite clever because, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't require anything that you don't already have. You can use your existing Blu-ray player. All you need, basically need is a new processor and a lot more speakers and amplification, obviously. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is that uh, Dolby are very much keeping Atmos in the theatrical cinema uh, sphere. They're not going to release that, or certainly they haven't hinted that they're going to release that into the consumer market. And it, it works very differently to what Oro... Uh, does which like you say it embeds the extra uh, height channels within the normal 5.1 or 7.1 mix uh, and it's the processor that then recognizes it's an oro uh, 3d soundtrack and then decodes the extra channels so like you say it's more backwards compatible it will fit on a blu-ray disc without changing any of the blu-ray specs um, there are although they weren't telling us um, publicly uh, on wednesday which uh, movie studios are going to support it there is support coming. There are Blu-rays going to come this year. Well, there are some actually, because I did a bit of research after we got back, and there's quite, I mean, obviously, DreamWorks Animation had publicly announced that they've got 15 animated films lined up with Oro 11.1 mixes. Um, Lucasfilm, prior to its purchase by Disney, had done made Red Tails, which had an Oro, which was the first film to have an Oro sound mix. Lionsgate are supporting them. So, for example, um, Hunger Games: Catching Fire had an Oro 11.1 mix. And the film I saw on, on Friday night, I Frankenstein, which is a Lions game release, also has an Oro mix. Um, so there's, there's quite a few studios. I think Disney have done a few. Um, so there's been definitely some support there. The big problem from our perspective in the UK is, is there aren't any cinemas with it yet. Yes, so that is a problem because if you want to hear it, uh, you basically either have to go to Genesis Technologies and hear their, <laughs> their system, which is a proper cinema system. They have the big Barco 4K projector, uh, they have the, the whole video server setup that you get in a normal cinema. But in terms of uh, commercial cinemas, there are orders placed, but um, none have been fitted out yet. There are a couple of uh, production side uh, rooms um, that have been fitted out, but nothing more than that. Um, so the obvious question here for our listeners um, who are enthusiasts 
who like the latest technology is that how are you going to get the extra speakers past the uh, significant other? <laughs> you um, have to stick them in the wall, aren't you? They're going to have to be in walls think, to make this well, feasible. You, you know, what, what makes sense here is, is that obviously it's Datasat uh, products that are going to have this um, on rollout. So they're the only products that are going to have Aura to start with. And you're talking the LS10 is 10 grand and the RS20i is uh, 18.500. So that's out of the reach of um, probably 99.9% .9 of our listeners uh, to the podcast. Uh, it's very much for the 1% who can afford that kind of thing. And when you're talking about that kind of money and installing that kind of equipment, what you're talking about is, is ripping out a room within a big house and completely installing, uh, custom installing a cinema where you can hide these speakers behind uh, cloth walls and all that kind of thing so they're out the way. But this technology will come down in price and it will start to appear on uh, consumer receivers, uh, AVRs. Um, then you start getting the problem of where do you put the extra speakers and, and you know how do you get past the significant other? Well, the, the point that Oro made, which was a valid one, was that you can implement the system in a piecemeal fashion basically so you've already got your 5.1 or 7.1 system so you've got that past the wife uh, then if you wanted to add aura you could go to a 9.1 system so that would mean adding height speakers above the front left and right and rear left and right speakers and their argument was that since there's already speakers in the corners of the room there in, in, in those four corners of the room mm. then adding uh, speakers just to, uh, above them high, you know above those speakers in the same corner isn't as intrusive as in fact adding two speakers at the back in a 7.1 system where it might be getting in the way of a doorway or the back of a room or something like that so that that is their argument. And then they say, and then after you've done that, if you wanted to, you could then add a height speaker above the center channel or, and one, you know, the, the voice of God speaker in the middle and to get the full 11.1 setup, which is the standard that they're creating for the, for cinemas. So you could, you could do that when that is, you know, that is one argument, I guess. And, and, that's, that's, and that's one brave man. Yeah, that's one brave <laughs> man. That's great in theory, but actually trying to get past that, past the missus would be, uh interesting I yeah i think in reality with the with the you know with the sort of explosion in sales of sound bars if anything people are going away from multi-channel audio completely mm. uh, it's a lot of av receivers aren't selling as well as they used to and i think people are going for more simpler less intrusive options like yeah, sound bars I, I think if you're saying that it's more sort of general public i think uh, the enthusiast market they're certainly sticking with five one uh seven one um i suppose if you've got a dedicated room which not a lot of yeah. a lot of us have, but um, then the argument, you know, it's it's easier to to fit that into your system. Basically, um, there are solutions nowadays where you can hide speakers in the wall, you can cover them with material so they, they disappear within the decor. Um, it's it's just it seems to be a major point to make um, when we're talking about this. However, I remember back twenty years ago when people were saying. You're going to put five speakers and a subwoofer in, a, in your living room? Um, and, and we got over that hurdle, uh, those of us that wanted it. So I think you're right, Steve. If adding the four height speakers um, as, as a starting point is maybe something that, you know, if you get something around about the size of a, I don't know, a JBL Control 1 sort of size speaker or one of the small Genelex or even some in walls, you could probably get around that, that issue quite easily. Yeah, and they, and they made the point, uh, I, I guess the point they were making at one of the demonstrations, which I don't think was going down too well with a lot of the custom installers because obviously they want to sell expensive kit. But they were saying, you know, in your average-sized room, um, 
you don't have to buy bigger expensive speakers. You can get just as much impact from a small cheap speaker like a Control One. You know, you can get a pair of those for what fifty quid. Uh, so you could easily put some of those up in the corners and and even above, you know, in the center and the voice of God position and above the center speaker, and have the full setup without it being too intrusive at all. Um, and given that there are already receivers that have things like D- DTS Neo X, nine channels of amplification, amplification, that kind of thing. Now I can't imagine it would be too difficult to um, implement Oro. 11 or 13.1 into uh, a higher-end AV receiver. What do the other guys think? Uh, is there something that interests you? Well, my, my first question would be, is it worth it? <laughs> uh, no, we were going to save, save this till after you guys had your say on how many speakers are in the room. So can we hold, <laughs> we'll, we'll, hold on okay. to, we'll hold on to that thought because I don't think me and Steve are necessarily going to agree here. So... Let's uh, let's get some more comments. We'll come back to that one. I, I think you've covered pretty much all the bases there. It's it's uh, things to consider would be um, cost, if it can be hidden within the room, or you have a dedicated room. Um, my my goal, like you guys, I mean, I know you've got them, um, but I would like my own uh, dedicated cinema room. In which case, if I was doing that, I would probably go for more speakers because you can. Yeah, the, the, the systems are in place to do that. Um, right here, right now, I don't think I would be bothered to it. Um, it's, it seems too much effort and expense for the reward that you get, and that's not even having heard it. Yeah, so, so, so the way that the system works is for those that, that are, are probably maybe not following the conversation here is that uh, you have your 5.1 setup, which is usually at ear height, Surrounds a little bit higher. Um, that's your traditional 5.1. 7.1, you obviously add your two speakers at the rear. What Oro does is you add height speakers. So across the front three, uh, you've got your, your left, center, right. You then have left, center, right, high. You then have left surround high, right surround high. And if you wanted to, you could have a, a voice of God, which is a ceiling speaker. And the idea is to take it from one plane, which is a normal 5.1 system, and extend it up and over. I think it's the voice of God speaker that interests me the most, getting that kind of overhead sound effect that, yeah, for, but, the, for but the real that, immersion. That wouldn't work without the height speakers as well because it's no. actually it's actually three layers that, that they talk right. about. So, so your first layer is your 5.1, then your speakers above that, then the voice of God speaker. And the whole idea behind it is that our brains work on uh, audio cues. So when you're out in a field... Uh, in the, in the sunshine, having a picnic, and you hear everything around you. You don't hear it just on one plane; you hear it all around yeah. you. Um, and and that's the idea of it is to give sound mixers uh, the opportunity to put these audio cues in there to fool the brain into thinking that you're in a much larger uh, space than than you probably are when you're watching a movie. And then of course they can do really clever things like proper. Um, panning from behind you, overhead to the front of the screen, that kind of thing. It's supposed to be more immersive and more natural in the way that it sounds. So let's get on to how it sounds, Stephen. I'll let you go first. <laughs> um, well, they gave us a demo, um, and what they did was they sort of went from um, a re- they, they basically had the various recordings. So they had a recording they they made in a square in Amsterdam which I think was uh, initially a, a 5.1 mix, and then with some height added into it. And then they did a countryside recording, so recording in the countryside, 
Um, and then that was a 9.1 mix. So they were using the, the height speakers, but no voice of God speaker. And what they were saying was that, uh, you know, we, our brains have sort of have evolved to ex- listen out for noises at certain heights above us, but basically like the tree line effectively. Uh, and then when the sound isn't there, um, we kind of put it there. But our brain has to sort of work to do that by, by sort of transposing the sounds to where it thinks it should be. And, and that makes the experience more fatiguing to listen to than, than it would be if the sounds were in the correct places. Now, there's no question that when we, when we listen to the to the demo of, the, say, the countryside record, if you closed your eyes, you know, you were getting bird sound above where the trees would be and around you and above you and this sort of stuff. And it was all very immersive. But I found that when they turned it off, my brain just started to do that automatically, to put the sounds where they would have been. Um, now maybe you know their, their argument about it being a, you know more less fatiguing to to listen to things that have been mixed in Aura thirteen point one is 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 true, but I, I, whilst I could I could hear that you know the, the sound effects and you know I could close my eyes and it could be like sitting in my garden at home and hearing the birds up in the trees chirping away, um, you know it wasn't that impressive. It was more impressive in um, sort of they had a scene from Red Tails, which was basically a bunch of fight, planes dogfighting, where where you know from where I was sat, and I was sat directly underneath one of the, the overhead speaker. Um, you know, you had the planes flying over your head. They had some stuff. Also, had, has a couple of shots of uh, a plane flying over you, and then two helicopters flying over you. And, you know, and then you know, obviously the sounds went directly overhead, and, and you could clearly hear that. And there was that was different. So I, I think it would benefit certain um, sound mixes where where you, you know, something involving planes or helicopters is always going to be good, and they always sound good in in five point one as well. Um, you could you know it would be up to the skill and the creativity of the sound designer and the nature of the film. So I don't think a kitchen sink drama is going to particularly sound any different in, in Oro thirteen point one. You see, that's where five point one. That's where I would disagree with you because I thought what was most effective was where the demonstrations where it wasn't all boom bang special effects everywhere and all the rest of it. The, the most immersive for me was actually the countryside uh, recording, which felt more natural and I wasn't aware or certainly wasn't as aware of, of the fact that there were speakers all over the room, whereas when you got a helicopter and all the rest of it, all it sounded to me was that the thunder surrounds up. <laughs> you know, it, it it didn't have the same effect. And actually, I think it had the opposite effect of what great film remixers and, and mixers do which is not to take you out of the movie you know the whole idea is that you 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 get focused on the movie and you disappear into the movie and, and you don't notice what's what's basically going on around you you don't notice the technology you're not counting the pixels on the screen you're not you know wondering which speakers being used and all the rest of it because when it's done right um it draws you into the movie and you, and you forget about that and you just enjoy the experience yeah, for, true. For but me, that, that was a demo, so they were deliberately showing us surround effects. But, but for me, that that just that just took took me out of it. And and these are movies that had been mixed in eleven point one. And even though we we're only getting to see like twenty seconds, thirty second clips, it didn't really impress me. All all it did was I thought, well, the surrounds are turned up too loud. You know that that was the feeling that I got from the demo. I wasn't impressed. Okay, so so th- this was a demo for potential cinemas, or was it a demo for? the home environment who were they who were they targeting the event was for dealers dealers who sell data sack equipment so um the demo room that genesis tech had got uh, which cost about eight hundred thousand quid um uses an rs20i data sack processor with um a 11.1 auro setup now to be fair that system is in that room is so good that if you were listening to a 7.1 mix it would sound amazing so yeah. so it, it was difficult sometimes to differentiate between you know how good it would have sounded anyway just because it's such a high-end 
home cinema installation. Um, so I, I, I agree with Phil to a certain extent that, you know, yeah, that some of the mixes sounded a bit busy um, to the point of being distracting. And like I said earlier, yeah, I think it will come down to the creativity and skill of the sound designers to use it effectively and in a way it doesn't take you out of the film. But uh, yeah, I can certainly see situations where having that kind of, you know, I guess if you're a sound designer and you've got more freedom and creativity and control and it can move sounds around a, in a sort of, you know, hemisphere, like a, like a sound umbrella over the viewer's head, that's, um, that, that could be appealing. There's no reason why it should be restricted to 5.1, even though most films are only still mixing. But Steve, 5.1. Are, you, are you going to buy a 10 grand processor and then pay three and a half grand to have it upgraded for Oro? No. And, and then add all the extra speakers? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> partly because uh, I haven't got the dough, partly cause, uh, because there's nothing to watch in it. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I'm, they were a bit cagey on. I mean, I, what's, what's interesting is that I think the point that we both made at the time was. There is clearly there's a move towards these more immersive sound systems in the cinema. You've got Dolby Atmos, you've got uh, got Oro, you've even got DTS, who've just launched their own uh, version of an objects-based sound system, which they've released for free, basically I think to piss off Dolby. Um, Oro are in a good position in the sense that they don't really care if DTS uh, or Dolby win uh, in terms of the uh, an objects-based sound design, uh, you know, system because they can still deliver, you know, that their channel-based system within the PCN tracks of, the, of their of, of DTS or, or Dolby's uh, system. So they're kind of slightly agnostic in that sense. Um, but I think in the cinema, at least, there is a, a move towards that, and it's for the reasons we discussed in previous podcasts about trying to make the cinema experience, you know, big screen, 3D, although that hasn't really panned out quite the way they thought, but, you know, more immersive sound to make it more of, a, of, a, of an experience in the cinema, which can be easily replicated at home. Um, clearly, Dolby Atmos will be very difficult to, to implement in any kind of home situation because of the way that it works. Whereas um, Oro is surprisingly easy to implement in the home, so that gives it a slight edge in that sense. And obviously, they've got a good relationship with DTS, and they've got a good relationship with Datasat, who do the cinema side of things um, that DTS used to do. Um, but yeah, would I spend <laughs> uh, all that money? No, not really. Uh, I don't think it was you know, worth it uh, ultimately. Yeah, so I mean, at the end of the day, this was for the custom install market. You're talking about ten grand and above just for the processor. So you can imagine the type of systems uh, that that these are designed to go into, and it is perhaps a little bit unfair on us to try and, um, as enthusiasts, see it in our own systems at this moment in time. It will come eventually, I'm sure of that. Um, it'll all depend on the studio support and so on. But if you've got views on 13.1, 9.1 systems, is it something that you can accommodate in your home cinema or your living room? Uh, is it something that significant other half is uh, is going to fight you over? And at the end of the day, is it that much better than a 7.1 mix or or even a 5.1 mix? Uh, is, is it a priority for you in your system? Let us know in the comments section. Uh, underneath this podcast just to quickly wrap up on uh, the home cinema side of things uh, mark you had a look at the x955 inch 4k from sony uh, we've already reviewed the 65 steve did that um what four months ago july, now steve back in july back in july was it so long ago, really as long ago as that so we've had a look at the 55 it is slightly different to the 65 mark uh, what did you find uh, yeah, I think the major difference uh, for 3D fans out there is it doesn't deliver full resolution to uh, to each eye. But it's a passive system, um, much like the 65. But uh, it's just yeah, it's still good. It's still good 3D wise. I'm not the biggest 3D fan anyway, so it's it's kind of it didn't really impact me my overall sort of verdict on the TV an awful lot. But for big 3D fans, it, um, yeah, there's, there's a 
4K passive uh, is just a great a great experience, and it didn't quite deliver on that. Although it's got some nifty processing tricks up its sleeve to kind of compensate for that. Um, I think, yeah, it, it was a, it was a very solid TV with some uh, clever processing tricks. Um, not sure about the design, this the speaker design. Uh, I think they've done the right thing in um, with the wedge shape uh, for the new 2014 sets. Um, it's, it, they certainly have quite a lot of people around since it's been here. It's, it's certainly drawn comments from everyone. Um, most people really don't like it, but I've, I've had a couple <laughs> around that, that really love the way it looks. So, I mean, I'm, I saw it when the press shots came out, way back now, I thought it looked absolutely gorgeous. Um, but as in home, yeah, kind of, I, find, I find the speakers kind of off-putting. I use external sources, external solution anyway, so it's they're kind of just redundant, even though they do sound good. Um, yeah, a, a, a good TV, a very accurate colours. Um, Sony didn't send me any 4K uh, to watch, so I just had to. Uh, I got some stuff stockpiled. Probably shouldn't say where from, um, and that looked magnificent. The 1080p stuff, uh, Blu-rays looked. Some of them um, looked, yeah, more than more than 1080p at times. Sat very close. Um, is 4K worth it on a 55-inch? Not really. Not unless you sit five foot away. I mean, I've got I've got perfect eyesight pretty much, um, and I couldn't really see a resolution difference from some my people, normal seven. Would uh, sorry, argue that. I'm saying some people would argue that saying you got perfect eyesight. <laughs> well, not my optician wouldn't take it. With, <laughs> take it up with her. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But the thing is, I mean, obviously, um, sitting further back than five feet, I think seven feet um, with a fifty-five-inch screen, um, you should still be able just, to. You can just see for for the enthusiasts there like that. It's I, I would still hang on. I would still. I mean, it hasn't got uh, HVC decoders. That's just one reason not to buy it. Just hold on for a while. There's, no, there's nothing out there to watch anyway. Just yeah. let them, let the, let the technology develop a bit. Let the feature sets improve, uh, and and wait for the you know the standards to be agreed properly before before taking the the jump. Is would be yeah, my advice. That's a uh, if you if you have to go out and buy a new TV now. <laughs> If for any reason you're absolutely compelled to, it's definitely a consideration. But three grand for a 55 inch LED, mm, LED. It, it didn't have a lot of the LED problems. It had a bit of dirty screen effect occasionally, uh, but it, the backlighting was good and the blacks were were impressive. Um, but I, no, th- three grand you could do better for your money. To be quite honest, get a ZT65 for that. Quickly go and get a ZT65, yeah. or, or or even yeah. a 55. I mean, an ST60. I would take a Panasonic ST60 for about a third of the cost over this TV for for what I can use it for right now. Very true, Mark. Um, it is something that I, I think because we're enthusiasts, because Aslot talk about this every week, week in, week out. Uh, you tend to forget about just the absolute lack of content, and uh, you know, is the X9. The model that you've reviewed, the 2013 model, is that even going to be able to have the uh, the application for Netflix and and so on? No, there no. isn't. All so, right, no. no. So you know, why would you buy it? Why would you buy it? Because you're a Sony fan and and you just can't <laughs> wait. Basically. <laughs> okay, talking about fanboy stuff, um, I think the way that that Steve's um, bigged up this Anthem AVR, and I read the review earlier on, and and, and um, I think he went over overboard a little bit. I think you you were a bit excited about this product. It's their new seven ten, MRX seven ten uh, flagship seven channel AV receiver. 
It's got the latest version of Anthem Room Correction, which is absolutely superb. Um, you know, it's got a completely redesigned uh, user interface. It's much, much faster. It's got more filters. It's more, more powerful. Um, it uses um, the network through an Ethernet cable rather than um, a serial connector to, to control it, which obviously makes life a lot simpler as well. Um, it's easy to implement, easy to set up. They've redesigned it so it looks really pretty. Uh, yeah, I, I set, set it up and uh, I've got to say that the performance on it was absolutely superb. I mean, for a £2,199 AV receiver, it, it punches well above its weight. Um, you know, I, I was listening to it not long after I'd been listening to 30 grams with a data sat and it was holding its own against that, which is saying something. Uh, I'd say that ARC is easily the best of the auto EQ setups uh, at that price point, the only other option alternative would be Dirac Live, which is two grand just for the process, you know, for the software and the microphone, and that comes with um, with the RS20i. So that's a whole different ballpark. But even then, you know, I mean, a lot of the things that they do on on, our, on the new version of ARC are also done on Dirac Live. So yeah, it was. I thought it was. Um, I think that the Anthem had addressed a lot of the issues from the previous generation of, of, of receivers. They'd um, delivered in terms of performance, in terms of setup, in terms of flexibility, uh, and. I've reviewed a lot of receivers now in the sort of two to three grand price bucket, and for my money, it's the best. Now, I'm just going to pick you up on the whole data sat holding its own type of thing. You're not seriously saying that this thing uh, competed against 30 grand's worth? No, I'm saying it, that given you know, given the price differential, it performed really well compared to data sat. Yeah, clearly, that's got like 300 watts per channel for a kickoff, um, and, and obviously a, a vastly superior processor and, uh, and software in it. But, you know, given it's 15, it wasn't 15 times as good. That's all so. I want you to clear up there because I think some people kind of take these things literally and they think, <laughs> a good example, just have a look at the uh, the review for the Optoma HC91 and a few people getting carried away in that thread actually thinking that you, you were saying that it was as good as a 30 grand sim and uh, they're obviously different products. Same technology, but different products. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're different in terms of things like lenses and that and the build quality and that sort of stuff, but ultimately exactly. it's the same chip inside. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But things like lenses make a huge difference yeah, yeah, and make a huge difference to the price as well. So um, I think uh, we need to bear that in mind and make that uh, abundantly clear to uh, to the people reading that review and this review. So um, for once on the weekly podcast, we've actually spoken about quite a bit of home cinema. <laughs> what's going on? Which is, I, I don't know what's going on. So um, let's fix that straight away and we're going to games news next. So, Mark, uh, games news. PS4 outselling the Xbox One by uh, 1.5 to 1. Tell us all about this. Yeah, uh, this was uh, Sony's Fogel Gara talking to Eurogamer. Um, as you say, 1.5 to 1. So, you know, it doesn't sound that much when you put it in, when you, you know, ratchet it down to the lowest common denominator. But 50% more is is a fair old whack. And it's, it's significant simply because... Uh, the UK was seen as Xbox 360 territory with a similar ratio, which was swung in Microsoft's favour in the last gen. So it, it it kind of undermines, really, it's, it's not that much of a surprise. It kind of uh, under underlines, I should say, how much of a premium we tend to put on price in the UK market. I think most people naturally assume that whichever console with similar lineups of games, whichever console came in at the lower price would be the one that sold you know the best, particularly when you consider the amount of uh, features that on the Xbox One are still kind of yet to be rolled out in this territory. Um, and you've also got to take into account. I mean, it's 
there's also the matter that PS4 was slightly harder to get hold of, so that perhaps makes it uh, a greater achievement. But then it's over the Christmas period, so you've got the kind of whole craze of what's what's the hardest gift to get hold of and what's the one that's likely to sell out. And people tended to kind of go for that, particularly if they were planning on buying both, you know, people perhaps such as myself, you know, you'd naturally pop down the pre-order on the one that you thought might be selling out. But yeah, it's it's kind of an early lead for Sony in the UK. And so, yeah, just see where it goes from here. So Xbox One, uh, cheaper version on the cards then? Uh, yes, this was another one of the rumours doing the rounds, uh, which was apparently, it's apparently been confirmed uh, or verified, but um, yeah, it's uh, Microsoft were testing a $399 version of the Xbox One, which had no optical drive. Now, this could either be a kind of uh, harkening back to the original plans with the Xbox One, or it could be simply that are they going to tie it in with, uh, you know, cable boxes and turn it into a kind of hybrid device, uh, uh, you know, with proper PVR functionality, particularly in the States where you've got the the um, one guide that can be used by the, you know, navigated by the Connect, and it kind of ties in a lot better with that market. Uh, various sites have received uh, supposed confirmation that Microsoft are readying a new SKU to replace the current one, so not just sell alongside it to actually replace it, and that could be out by the end of the year. But those said absolutely nothing about there being no disk drive. So it's a kind of hefty pinch of salt, I think, that that anyone would assume that Microsoft would even dare to, to launch something without an optical drive. It just seems kind of mad, particularly when you consider that it, it's being touted as the all-in-one solution to throw away Blu-ray playback. It does seem a little bit odd. $100 for an optical drive? I don't know what that, <laughs> on the scales they're buying them at? Jesus Christ. What? Well, that's the thing. It, it's, <laughs> it doesn't seem know, right, does it? Get rid of the Kinect. That's what you should be doing. Isn't it? Don't get rid well, of the optical drive. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make you wonder exactly what else they might be chopping and changing in there. But, you know, a new SKU within a year of, you know, one launching does seem like there there might be some kind of radical change. But I don't know. I, I can't see. I mean, this is $399 is the, the price tag talked about. So I'm assuming that this is for the states and, and kind of focusing on that. But you would assume that you know, connect for the the various areas where they haven't really utilised it properly, where it's not t- as tied into the, the TV system, perhaps might be the thing to be jettisoned. Seems to make more sense to me, but, yeah. But then you don't work for Microsoft. I don't, yeah. They're, they're, they're backtracking. <laughs> they're doing a lot of backtracking all over the place at the minute, so, yeah, who knows what they're going to do. Well, they're talking about working on, on game prices. I mean, the, the thing, the reason why they can't go to kind of all digital is because the game prices, uh, you know, digital downloads they actually up the prices which is kind of unheard of you know from from 45 to 50 so it's you know it's a little bit odd to to think that they might suddenly then go down that route uh they have said recently they will be kind of taking that under consideration but the phrase taking something under consideration is a nice way of saying uh absolutely nothing you know so Okay, so moving on from Microsoft, a couple of Nintendo things, and I know you're a big Nintendo fan. Mark, tell us about these. Uh, Yes, this is kind of in in the the aftermath of all the the negativity of the the, um, downgraded uh, sales, projected sales figures, uh, and then the the 
hefty whack their share price took. They're now looking to um, implement a scheme to buy back shares, and their uh, Satoru Iwata's talked about mergers and acquisitions possibly being on the cards. But he's also kind of outlined in a just this kind of huge, huge amount of of text that's currently doing the rounds as to to what um, he plans to do with the business. And there are lots of things up in the air, lots of things that we never thought we'd hear. But um, generally, it's uh, as is, they're not leaving the hardware market. They're not going third party. Um, that he emphasised how kind of uh, small they are as a company in comparison to Sony and Microsoft, and that they've got you know five thousand employees, and they don't have the resources to go toe to toe with them. So they they need to find new markets, and they have to try to be unique. Um, but, but he's once again kind of uh, said they can't just cut the price on the Wii U. Uh, they're just really unable to sell it properly. And one of the things he did bring up, which was the gamepad, he, he said that um, you know it, they haven't shown it off properly or, or enough people don't understand the value to it. And yet at the same time, we're just about to come up to a month where you're going to have uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze out, which is a, a fairly big game for in, in Wii U terms. Um, and the news comes out that it's not even going to use the screen for anything. It's, it's going to be blank <laughs> while you're playing. What? Really? <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be blank. You can use it as a as a screen to to play the game on, but other than that, it's it's you know apparently when it was tested, it was just a blank screen, which just kind of nice. shows that. I mean, from first from first party titles, yeah. the screen has never really been used that much. I mean, he's also I mean he outlined they're going to um, improve the startup time, so they'll they'll roll out some kind of update oh, in the summer. Them. Yeah, exactly. Buy one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No one's not buying a Wii U because it doesn't start up quick enough. You know, he's he's um, he did touch on smartphones uh, and the idea that they, you know, they don't want to just release games on that, and they they want greater ties with uh, consumers on on smart devices. But then he hasn't really said anything that they're planning on doing. He, he's said there's a development team that won't be barred from releasing games or anything like that, but. If it just seems to be going back and forth on the whole issue, the the one really good thing is they're looking at pricing structure. He's talked about being flexible and and kind of focusing more on rewarding loyal customers. And they did have this uh, 3DS scheme where it was um, what was it buy three or buy two of a certain selection of games, and then you'd get a third free or something that was no, running. It was, I think it was one. It was one, wasn't it? Because I did it. I did it. We bought my daughter for a, a 3DS XL over Christmas, and uh, yeah, it was buy one of a selection of games and download Super Mario, um, the new Mario 3D World Land, one of them, uh, for free. So oh, I did good. that, but I could have sworn there was a, there was another one they did where it was buy two and you'd get a, the, I one that. I from a selection. I, if, if so, I missed that. If so, I missed that. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> buy, I, buy two, get a too year, late now. As well. Year, yeah. free, is it? <laughs> Yeah, but beyond that, he's just talked about um, really kind of shaking things up. He's kind of emphasised that they have to start thinking of different ways of doing things, um, you know, licensing um, possibly characters and IP out to other media. And the the final, the interesting point was branching out beyond traditional video games. He talked about um, looking into the health sphere and talking about quality of life and what he's branding non-wearable technology. 
which <laughs> non-wearable technology. Yeah, that's yes, that's non-wearable that's technology. That's a funny term, isn't it? I, I, I have absolutely no idea. And I, I'm not fully sure he knows what he's saying, but it, it, it's basically one of those things where you've got this tidal wave of negativity heading towards you and everyone's saying that you're a kind of antiquated institution that's going to kind of die out soon enough and end up just, you know, selling small handhelds. And so he had to say something, but ultimately I don't think he's actually said anything. Well, I've got an idea for him because the other two haven't delivered on this. Uh, release a 4K console. Yeah. Well, see, Nintendo are still sitting on a fair chunk of change. So they've got a large amount of money. But he, he did mention the fact that, you know, he was told by um, Hiroshi Yamauchi that they, you know, that kind of thing is smart because there will be peaks and troughs. And so therefore, during the lean years, you want to sit on your money. So that, that doesn't really sound like you know, massive a massive risk taking strategy. Okay. It would be an expensive. Sorry, it would be an expensive console if it did 4K gaming. Though, it'd have to have some bloody horsepower. He has taken a pay cut though. That's oh, right. Oh well, there you go. You can afford to do a 4K uh, console now. Then, uh, so that's the games news uh, for this week. Games podcast coming up uh, in the next week. Mark, any ideas what you guys are going to be discussing? Um, I'm fairly sure I'll find a way to bore other people on Nintendo. <laughs> um, beyond that we've got um, I don't know probably picking up uh, it's slim pickings actually at the moment in terms of gaming news uh, games and games releases so uh, I'm fairly sure at some point those of us with PS4s will be trying out Outlast so, has anyone heard of that one? Insanely out. <laughs> <laughs> no it's an insanely scary kind of um, horror game that's oh, been yeah. released free yeah. Yeah, on the PS4, and thus far from the games team, everyone has wussed out from playing it. <laughs> oh, is it that scary? Uh, it it, oh, it is. Just, you just want to look scary. at it. The trailer scared me. Really? Ah. I can't what? play Ooh, games like that. Last. And he's a man who's lived on Japanese horror for years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that wraps up the games news, and we'll move on swiftly to movies. Now, Steve, before I ask you the question, um, the title of this movie, and I've seen the trailers, obviously the trailers have been on the TV quite a bit recently because it's, it's just been released, this movie. Um, it's called Lone Survivor. Does that give you any hint at what happens at the end? Yes, yes, that is. The, <laughs> the title itself is a spoiler, although in fairness, they, uh, and if you look at the poster and see who the star is, doesn't take a lot of time to work out who the lone survivor might be. Yeah. I, I, um, I saw having that. said that, you actually see... Um, the film starts with him being rescued. So they actually, in the very, very first scene, show you who the lone survivor right. is, therefore eliminating any of that. Who is it going to be? All right, because you know, when I saw it on the TV, it was like, we're going to send a four-man team in, and then <laughs> and then the title of the movie is Lone Survivor. I thought, oh, yeah, I, I can guess yeah. what's going to happen. You can find someone who's going to put money on the other three and buy his hand off. <laughs> Titanic, but all right. Yeah. So, Steve, what's at the cinema? <laughs> I, was, I actually saw three films. I saw Lone Survivor, which I'll talk about in more depth. I also saw That Awkward Moment, which is a kind of uh, 20-something romantic comedy with Zac Efron. Uh, I say comedy in the so broadest right sense. So right up your street then, funny. if it's a 20-something film, then you would have been right out of I your league then. I was the only person in the cinema again. <laughs> 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 I had the whole thing to myself. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, I actually don't mind Zac Efron, but he plays a real dick in this film. And I think there's a real problem. There's been quite a lot of films recently where the main characters have been quite unsympathetic. And it is difficult to empathise with the character if you don't like them. Uh, I preferred some of his, you know, it was three friends, basically, and they, they sort of make a pact not to be in a relationship. And all three of them obviously just immediately break it. Um one of them, uh, one of his friends, you know, gets together with a, with a sort of female friend of his. And that's kind of, you know, it was every cliche in the books in there, you know, the, the two friends, male and female friends, you know, who suddenly realize they actually fancy each other. You know, if you can find, again, if you can find anyone who's going to bet money that the main couple won't be together at the end of the film, again, bite their hand off, because clearly they're going to end up together. So there's no real, I can only think of two uh, romantic comedies where the couples don't end up together at the end of the film. So not romantic comedies, but just romantic films, Casablanca and 5500 Days of Summer. Pretty much every other film I've ever seen, you know, you guarantee they'll end up together at some There'll be obstacles in the path, but eventually they'll get together. So it was charmless, and the characters were pretty unpleasant, and I didn't find it particularly funny. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that. So, well, I was alone, obviously, <laughs> but I don't think lone survivor. Been, been, yeah, <laughs> been particularly good. Then after that, I went and saw I Frankenstein, which is an absolute stinker, which was pretty obvious by the fact that a it had no advanced press screenings, and b it's the year been delayed for a year whilst they a turned it into a 3d film 3d was very poor by the way and then digitally remastered it and made it into an imax film talk about polishing a turd <laughs> no amount no amount of digital remastering 3d or big screen projections can make any difference to this it's bloody awful they couldn't even get the fact that the monster is not called frankenstein right the title's wrong because it should be <laughs> i monster or i creature frankenstein's the guy who created the monster the monster is just the monster um Although a lot of people obviously get that wrong, but it really pissed me off that they couldn't even get that right. Um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, it's basically, um, if you've seen, it's written by, or produced and written by the same team that produced and wrote the Underworld movie. So if you've seen those, you know what to expect. But that's got vampires and werewolves fighting a sort of war and mankind's largely unaware of it. This has got angels and demons fighting a war and Frankenstein's in the middle of it. Or Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> should I say, is in the middle of it. <laughs> and... Uh, and yeah, you know, it is. It's very strange and, and, and a bit silly, to be honest. Um, so give that a miss. And then I saw Lone Survivor, uh, which has its good points and it's, ba- it's, it's obviously based on a true story. Annoyingly, though, they change things in the film. You kind of think, well, if you want to make a really realistic, you know, war film, because of some of the, the battle sequences are, are genuinely well done and, and quite realistic and brutal and, and graphic. Uh, and, and that was good. But, you know, you think, well, if you're going to make the film, stick to the true story, because... In the real story, the lone survivor is, is paralysed from the waist down from his injuries and has to literally crawl his way out of the battle zone by drawing a line in the ground with his knife and then dragging himself over the line and then drawing another line in the knife. That kind of brute will to survive is interesting, whereas they've just got Marky Mark wandering out on a, you know, with a bit of a limp in the film. Um, they have a whole battle between the Taliban and the and the Pakistan, you know, Afghani um, villagers who protect him, which never happened. Um the, the number of Taliban involved in the firefight varies from 8 to 10 to 25 to 30, but there's at least 100 in the film. Um, it just feels like, you know, if you're going to do it, do it properly or don't do it at all. Um, so that kind of annoyed me. It is very gung-ho and very American and very pro. The Navy SEALs are in there and there's lots of shots of the real guys, you know, and photographs at the end of them all. Um, but the performances are genuinely very good uh, from the four guys who go on the mission uh, and which is Taylor Kitsch, Ben Foster, Mark, Mark, Mark Wahlberg, and um, Emil Hirsch. And as I said, the action scenes are really well done. Uh, I know that um, Chris absolutely jizzed himself over it in his review, um, which yeah. is not a massive surprise, frankly. Oh, no, it's, it's right up his street, isn't it, that film? Yeah. 
ex-marine. Yeah. It plays exactly to what he'd love loves in a film. So. Yeah. Chris is an ex-marine. Yeah, so, Didn't you so, know that? So he tells, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tells that us. That explains a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, that explains a lot. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, yes, it's, it's okay. It's certainly not as good as Chris makes it out to be, unless maybe you're an ex-Navy SEAL or Marine. Maybe you enjoy it. <laughs> Um, but uh, but it's certainly a, a, a you know passable. It, 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 I just kind of found the fact that the film didn't quite know what it wanted to be. Was it trying to condone war, war and show how horrible it is, or was it trying to glorify these soldiers? Because it was doing a bit of both at certain times, uh, which kind of sent out mixed messages. But it's, it's, it is a well-made film, certainly. Lots of buffed-up men in it for you, Steve, was there? Uh, yeah, there's, there's lots of. Um, that's probably why Chris liked it. There's lots of. Um, <laughs> there's lots of very large, uh, very large Navy SEAL guys and all the big muscles and. Uh, yeah, beards. <laughs> got beards too. Everyone's got a beard for some reason. I think they all grow Well, because it's a Taliban. No, 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 no. <laughs> I meant I meant the Navy SEALs. The Navy oh, SEALs right. apparently are allowed to grow beards. They're the only part of the armed forces that can. So they all do to make a point. I'd be buggered if that was the case because I can't even grow. Well, I'd be literally buggered probably, but um, <laughs> I can't okay. grow a beard to save my life. Don't fly yourselves too. Okay, <laughs> score on that one. Uh, I'll give it. I, I'd give it sort of seven uh, rather than uh, I think the nine that Chris gave it. I'd, I'd give it seven. The other two would get like four. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, let's move on quickly because we are running out of time. Blu-ray is released this week. About time. The Prisoners, uh, Runner Runner, The Viking season one, and Bates Motel season one. Uh, Got to say, um, even though you have reviewed uh, some of these, Steve, on the podcast, uh, I don't know anything about them. So, which one did you pick out as uh, must buys? If I was going to pick, I would pick About Time, which is a Richard Curtis film about a time-traveling uh, young guy um, and his father, which I, I thought was a really sweet movie. Uh, made me cry at the end. Um, it's all about sort of relationship between fathers and sons, and it's really, really good. Uh, Prisoners is excellent, too. It's got a slightly pat ending, but um, the majority of the film is, is really tense and, and really well acted by people like uh, Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, so that's definitely worth seeing. Those two, I haven't seen The Vikings and I haven't seen Bates Motel. I did see Run and Runner, it's okay, but you know, just a mediocre film. But the first two, About Time and Prisoners, definitely worth checking out. And our movies editor, which one would you pick, uh, Simon? Uh, I, well, yes. Uh, I would probably agree with um, Steve there, although I haven't seen About Time. I'm under orders to see it. So I will be seeing that, and I'll probably take the Blu-ray and review it. Um, Kaz has looked at Prisoners, and I have seen that, and that is, as a Blu-ray, excellent. Um, rather dull picture, but then it's meant to be. Um, fantastic sound, but a, an excellent film, and very mo morally ambiguous. Um, and if you have children, you kind of question, would you go as far as the, the character does to find his child? Um, so it, it's it, it makes you question your own morals. So by that standard, it's well worth seeing. Um, I haven't seen the other two series, although I do have um, Bates Motel downstairs still in its wrapper. Um, but I will be looking at that, and I can report back on that. Oh, I don't know, a couple of months time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. I was I was going to pick up on these two because uh, these are two series that um, I, I don't know much about, and I haven't seen that much promotion of them either. So, any of you guys seen these series? I haven't. No, as I said, I haven't seen it, but I know about it. It's a, it's a prequel. Much, much, you, you, have you seen Hannibal yet? Do you know, you know Hannibal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the prequel to The Silence of the Lambs. Um, well, Bates Motel is very much in the same mould. It's a prequel to the film Psycho, showing how Norman Bates became Norman Bates, the, the psycho of the film. 
especially just giving away the ending of Psycho. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think that's all right. <laughs> Bastard. Sixty-year-old film. Yeah, uh, I think we yeah, can okay. give away spoilers on a sixty-year-old film. I think we're okay <laughs> on that one. Uh, the other one that's interesting, Vikings. There's a lot of these at the minute. You know, Games of Thrones, uh, Games of Thrones, and uh, Spartacus and that kind of thing. I, I'm assuming it's along the same lines. You know, lots of tits and battles and stuff. Yeah, for the first ten minutes, so. I saw. Uh, I I uh, I watched ten minutes on love film, which doesn't mean it was bad. I quite enjoyed it, I think, uh, but it was very late at night, and then I've since not gone back to it. But yeah, it's exclusive on love film. So if you want to sign up for a trial membership, to give it a spin before you buy, well, you might be buy worth an idea. Blue. Or you could buy the uh, Blu-ray. Did it have nudity and violence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the first ten minutes, it was a lot of that. I just asked that, Steve. You weren't listening. <laughs> oh, I wasn't quite sure. I wanted, I wanted Mark to be specific here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Steve, we, we, can, we can go can in be explicit. And yeah, yeah. We can do that with here. Let's move on quickly. Uh, another series which I never got into uh, was 24. Um, never got into it, never watched any of it. And uh, it's something I always meant to. I'd, I've got the Blu ray box sets of the first two seasons and never bothered to watch them. Uh, but seemingly it's coming back, Steve. Yeah, I mean, there's been uh, uh, season uh, nine, was it? Eight nine, or nine that nine, finished? Yeah. Nine, yeah. Season nine back in ooh, 2010, I think it finished. And there was a long, uh, quite, for quite a long time, they were trying to make a film, a feature film. And at one point, Tony Scott was going to direct it, obviously, before he committed suicide. Um, and that kind of fell through for reasons I'm not quite sure why. Maybe they couldn't get a decent script together. And well, there's, there's been an talk- hour and a half, wouldn't it? The film wouldn't have been the same. 120 <laughs> minutes. It hasn't got to take 24 hours. It can just be called 24. This is this new. Yeah, but that's the hook of the show, isn't it? The show takes place over a day. But they were trying to do. A, it looks like this series is going to is morph from that because I remember reading about this sort of proposed film and it would have taken place in Europe with um, um, with Jack Bauer on the run and everything like that, and um, that that fell through. But now it looks like they 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 have just started production this week uh, on this new series, which is only a twelve parter. So uh, I guess it would be twelve rather than twelve. 20. <laughs> um, 20, Twenty-four. Live another day. It's um, it is set in Europe because they were shoot they're shooting in London right now, um, and there was a a teaser shown during the Super Bowl last night. And uh, yeah, so I'm quite excited about this because you know I, I love a bit of Jack Bauer. You can't beat can't beat Keith killing people and torturing people left, right, and centre. Um, anyone who's still alive from the original series, is, the original nine series, is in, I think in this, but that's not many people, by the way. Most people nice. get killed at some point. Um, but they've got the old crew back. They've got uh, Chloe and Jack, and they're in in Europe. And uh, it's I think it starts in May on in, on Fox. I don't know who'll be showing it here. Probably be Sky because they showed the original series. Well, Fox is on uh, Sky now, so um, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. Fox. It'll be Sky, which is annoying. Um, but I'll get it on DVD or, or watch it on Netflix or something when it comes out. But, but I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Um, first trailer for Seth MacFarlane's new comedy, um, "A Million Ways to Die in the West." So I went and had a look at this. I love Seth MacFarlane. I love Family Guy. I really enjoyed Ted. I looked at the trailer and I'm thinking, my God, this is going to be a pile of shit. Really? I thought it was really funny. <laughs> Oh, it just, uh, I don't know what it Hang is. Hang on, which trailer did you watch? Did you watch the Red Band trailer or the Green Band trailer? I watched the... Was there any swearing in it? Um, I can't remember now. There's lots of people dying in it, which obviously yeah, goes along... kind of a running joke, isn't it? Which, which obviously, go, it's why it's called A Million Ways to Die, but really I, I, I don't know. It just, it just every every scene that they've chosen in that trailer fell flat for me. It just, I don't know what it was. I don't think it's going to be very good. It's quite funny in the trailer. It's got a good cast. It's got Seth MacFarlane, Charlize Theron, Amanda Seyfried, Neil Patrick Harris, and Liam Neeson. And Liam Neeson, he's always a winner in comedy, isn't he? <laughs> I'm trying to think what comedy. No, he's really funny in uh, in uh, Life Too Short, 
doing, you know, taking himself, taking the Mickey out of himself, where he's talking about being a funny guy, <laughs> but he's clearly not. I, I've uh, got to say, I've got to say, all all the trailers that were shown um, last night. Obviously, we're recording this Monday night. Last night was Super Bowl uh, in the states, and and obviously, it, it, most people watch a Super Bowl for the adverts. <laughs> Because that's the big, <laughs> yeah, that's the, the big thing. <laughs> um, you know, they pay so much money for these adverts that, that companies do go out of their way. And I've been looking through all the adverts that were shown last night on YouTube, and um, there weren't that many funny ones. I mean, the Matrix one for Kia was mm, okay. Um, the the one with Budweiser with the dog and the horse just that was strange. Um, trying to come up with some kind of best buddy type tagline for for that, which is strange. But even all the trailers that were shown, uh, Robocop, Need for Speed, uh, the listed here, Captain America, Spider-Man 2, Transformers 4, there's nothing there that would make me go to the cinema. I thought, I, well, I don't know about the teasers they showed you on Super Bowl, but the trailer, the actual proper trailer I saw for Captain America looked really good. Um, Spider-Man 2, I couldn't really care less about. Uh, it just seems to be full of villains, and I always get concerned when there's more villains than there are heroes. Um, Transformers 4, well, who cares about that? I mean, God, I can't believe they're making a fourth one. Need for Speed is a video game, isn't it, um, Mark? Yep. Um, so they never work out very well. Robocop, PG-13. So, I mean, it opens on Friday. I'm going to go and see it. Um, it might be okay, I suppose. More but I you. do find the fact that, that it's PG-13 worrying. Yeah, more for all you. But then you've got to go and see this shit well, so free. we don't have to. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You go and see it so we don't have to. So there you go. Um, what, what I, I don't know if anybody else watched the Super Bowl, but what, that was the most one-sided game I've ever seen in my life. It was over in 20 minutes. And the thing that really wound me up this year, and the Americans do this all the time, they overhype everything, but the whole way they were selling it as the greatest show on earth, it's like, well, bollocks, anybody outside America, A, doesn't know the rules, and B, either watches it for the halftime show, which was really poor this year, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and that Mars guy, is it Bruno Mars? Um, oh, bloody awful. Uh, so that was appalling. And then, like I say, I mean, some of the highlights were these adverts, but then even then, some of them were bloody strange. Anybody else watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> Did we fuck? No, probably not. Yeah, I'm see, not so. sure. I, think I, would, I actually football. wouldn't mind American football if it was condensed into you know an hour and a half, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, all it's the bloody three or four hours. <laughs> yeah, it's good God. How can you know you've got six, 32 seconds to go and that can last six or seven minutes? That's it looks to yeah, be well, a distraction to eating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they can stuff as much. Well, well actually, when, when the game is a distraction to advert breaks. Yeah, well, <laughs> the thing was uh, the playoff games were on when we were uh, at CES in Vegas. So what you found was at the weekends, we were there for two week, two Saturdays anyway. And what you found was that um, a lot of people come into town for the games. They come into the casinos and stuff, and they they sit and watch the the games there. And and there's a good atmosphere and all the rest of it. So, I can see it as as a group thing. That that's that's their thing to do. It's the the most popular sport in, in the states. So, and like I say, I mean these guys come from miles and miles. There was loads of 49ers fans um, on the second Saturday. We were there for the game yeah. playoff game that was on, and and it is a good atmosphere. And you hear them all all cheering and all the rest of it. And uh, I can get the social side of it, but like you say, Mark, it, it's um, the whole game time is sixty minutes, but it takes four and a half hours yeah. to complete a game. It's, it's just right. yeah, it, it's an interesting game. It's a, <laughs> and you know some of the hits and all the rest of it. You think, my God, uh, and the size of some of these guys. But like you say, I mean, if they condensed it down to ninety minutes, yeah. I think it'd be a far better, far better spectacle. And as as always, it was just overhyped to hell. It really was. 
Yes, the they're real hyping world. It's been the um, New York, the first Super Bowl in New York, but it wasn't, was it? It was in New Jersey. Yeah, well, the borough of New York. <laughs> that, that was how they were getting around that one. <laughs> I think the greatest show on earth will be in summer when we get to the World Cup, for the rest of the world at least. We see that's very true. Um, it, it, it was odd. I don't know if anybody remembers the, the World Cup that was held in the States. Yeah, yeah, 1994. Yeah. Well, we, England weren't there, so no, I don't. <laughs> the only thing I ever really remember about that was the Ireland game with yeah. John Aldridge swearing. Yeah, John, John Aldridge, yeah, I remember that. That's one. And the Italians missed Adio that missing that yeah. penalty. Yeah. <laughs> the final was an absolute damp squib, wasn't it? It was yeah. a good tournament. Yeah. But some things that happens with the tournaments, you know, you find that the finals are really, really boring because nobody wants to lose the final, do they? Yeah. And you get all the way there, the last thing you want to do is lose it. But, you know, that one was held in the States and there was absolutely no interest at all in it. Um, the people that were filling the stadiums, they were Europeans, South Americans. Hispanics, lo- yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, that's all we've got time for on uh, this week's podcast. My thanks to Steve Weathers. Chinaman peed on my rug. Mark Botwright. It's a league game, Smokey. Simon Crust. The rug really tied the room together. And Mark Hodgkinson. At least I'm housebroken. You can follow us on Twitter and don't forget you can also like us on Facebook. Plus, why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show or leave us a comment under the podcast in the podcast forum. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next Wednesday. 